And now it's time for Midweek Media Watch. And this week's Midweek Media Watch watcher is Hayden Donnell. Kia ora, Hayden. Welcome back. Kia ora, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, nice to have you on again. Essential workers. You've been thinking about this and you've been thinking about the way the media has covered that particular story. Yes, I have. So I guess one of the the stories of the pandemic, if you will, has been just how useless the richest and most powerful members of society truly have been. We've got people like the business magnate David Geffen sort of relaxing on his super yacht in the Caribbean and getting blasted for that after posting about it on Instagram or celebrities making terrible music videos of themselves singing Imagine. Uh, and meanwhile, we have some of the people that society deems to be sort of unskilled a, a lot of the time actually being designated essential workers, vital to the running of society. And I guess one thing that the media has done really well is actually highlight the discrepancy between that designation, essential, and the actual paying conditions of some of the workers that have been given that designation. So we can start with supermarket workers. Yeah, uh, I think of early on, if you remember, you might have read it, the spin-off did an interview. It went quite well with the supermarket worker who described the conditions when, as the pandemic was arriving and panic shopping was setting in. They said that they weren't getting the proper personal protective equipment given to them. They hadn't been given a raise. You know, they'd just been... What they'd been given was an increase in their staff discount from 5% to 10%. And so the media has done a really good job of actually piling on the pressure in these situations. That was part of it. Also, social media, as you know, this week, the big, the two big supermarket chains, Progressive and Food Stuff, actually gave their workers a 10% raise. And that pressure is continuing to happen. After that raise was given on TVNZ's Breakfast with John Campbell, he did an interview with Tali Williams of the yeah. Earth Union, who said that supermarket workers actually all deserve to be given a living wage. Because even with this 10% raise, these essential workers, these people who are vital to the running of society, are still short of the living wage in a lot of cases, particularly at foodstuffs. And one thing John Campbell does quite well as a campaign, when he's got a cause, he's on fire. (laughs) That's that's John Campbell's main skill, you know, and especially if it's something like this, where it's uh, uh, people that are, are, are not always deemed to be the most important members of society are getting uh, mistreated or not being given a fair go. He's very good with that. So I look forward to what he will be doing in this area and other other areas that are sort of related to it. Uh, uh, another thing, another group of essential workers that have been highlighted is people that haven't been given the greatest paying conditions recently are courier drivers. So they're still working. They're delivering. They'll be delivering packages, I guess, from the warehouse in Nolimeing now. Yeah. But uh, Lee Murrimer McLaughlin of Radio New Zealand put together a really good report late last week about the conditions facing these drivers. You know, some are going to work with only a pair of gloves and a bottle of hand sanitizer. They're asked to share toilets with a hundred other drivers. And again, these are the people that have been deemed necessary for our society to keep running during a deadly pandemic. And when chips are down, they're who we need to keep working, and yet they're often not treated like they're important. So I, I, I just want to give kudos to the media for actually highlighting the, the, those, those discrepancies, that, that gap between the designation, the designation essential and the actual way these people are treated. 
the word, the way we describe essential, the definitions the, that the government has laid out in terms of what is and what is not essential is quite interesting in the media itself. In fact, and you want to touch on that, and I've got an email here from Raywin who would like to hear some discussion of the government's decision to shut down print publication of magazines and periodicals. The directive in Jacinda Ardern's press conference comments mm. were quite clear. The government has characterised the media as a service for disseminating news. The scant coverage so far has been couched in the government's own chosen terms, whether the affected publications are an essential service. But this is the whole thing. that Some things, we can keep on doing news, but other things aren't regarded as essential, but yet sometimes it's the context around the news is more useful. Yes. So I might surprise some listeners to know that we're essential workers, Brian, and that we're essential to the running society, but we are. And there was something, uh, I think it was late last week, where this broke, where the government was actually going to stop the print runs of publications, like community newspapers that don't run daily. And yes. They have, your, was it Raywin, your, your email will be pleased Yes, it was Raywin. Reconsidered that. And community newspapers, particularly in areas that aren't well served by bigger papers and daily regionals, daily papers are actually going to continue running. But the things that aren't going to continue running, magazines will still not be able to do their print runs. They haven't been deemed to be an essential service. The other thing is just, and you talked about this last week, is is the impact that the slowdown, the economic slowdown, is having on the media. And I think a lot of us were quite surprised, in fact, maybe even a little shocked, when NZME announced earlier in the week that it was shutting down. In fact, it, it didn't really announce it, it just did it. It shut down Radio Sport. It was Radio Sport one moment, the next moment it's News Talk ZB. And there's been a little bit of speculation that maybe the writing was a bit on the wall for Radio Sport when they didn't renew their cricket commentary rights Yeah. earlier this year. You might remember that. But it was a really sudden and, and swift uh, move. And it just goes to show just how much money these commercial media companies are hemorrhaging. I mean, all of them are totally underpinned by ad revenue. They've got an ad revenue model, and of course the ad revenue has virtually dried up. You think of the travel industry, it's not there. Planes aren't flying, cruise ships aren't floating. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and not only that, but most stores aren't open. They don't have sort of uh, any, they don't have the warehouse advertising. They don't have all these big stores in their, in their papers advertising. The only people that need to advertise a, a countdown, they don't really need to advertise. They've got a duopoly with food stuff. So the only advertiser now is the government, and they're telling people to stay home. So these media companies are in a massive bind. They've got a huge dip in their revenue. And today, MediaWorks, which was already pretty distressed and had its TVM3 up for sale, uh, it, its CEO, Michael Anderson, in a meeting with all staff, he asked them all to voluntarily take a 15% pay reduction. If they don't do that, or if not enough people do that, they'll be facing redundancies. They may be facing redundancies anyway. NZME is very similar. Uh, you know they have asked their staff, or its CEO Michael Boggs has asked their staff to take 15 days of annual leave, but they have still been told that's voluntarily, but they have still been told that they will be facing redundancies as well. So this is a class of essential worker that is massively in trouble. I, and I, I'm sorry for talking long about this, but one of the problems for the media is that they are in this weird spot, or we are in this weird 
spot where we're deemed an essential service, but we are still hemorrhaging money uh, due to the crisis in a way that some other essential services aren't. Well, one of, one of the things that that, is a, that strikes me is in terms of people are at home, we can't go to the movies, we're, we're, we're downloading stuff, we're streaming stuff, and a lot of that stuff, we're, we're on Facebook, we're on social media, and there's advertising, there's advertising on YouTube, but that's, if I understand rightly, that money's going overseas. But yet, the, yeah. but the, the arms where the advertisers... Um, where the revenue is staying in New Zealand are shrinking, the, at that and that vacuum is to part to some extent been taken up by by suppliers of content who who are taking the revenue out of New Zealand. This is what you're highlighting. There has been an ongoing problem. What this what, what this pandemic has done is essentially just supercharged or, or sped up this process where the media's revenue sources are all but evaporating. Uh, Facebook, Google, those people, those sorts of companies are already stealing revenue, but now there's essentially very little for the media companies to actually, very few businesses for the media companies to actually take money off. And so what you might see, I guess, is just a speeding up of something that was happening anyway, which is this reorganisation of the media landscape, this contraction of these big commercial media companies. And... I mean, there's there's a lot of fallout from that. It would, in some ways, be potentially a huge disaster for democracy, for accountability, for the government, that kind of thing. Uh, it could also just maybe just change the total nature of our media industry. Maybe you'll just see more online businesses, more digital native media organisations springing up and sort of taking the place of some of these bigger commercial companies. It's going to be an eventful time, no matter what. On the bright side, there are some local providers who I've I've turned to a lot more in recent weeks, and one off the top of my head is is the spin-off. And as far as I know, the spin-off is is has still got its head above water at the moment. Yeah, well, actually, Duncan Greaves, the founder of the spin-off, wrote something pretty interesting. He said that their biggest client has actually just stopped their contract with them and so that's really harmful but what's happened is their readers have stepped into the breach and they've experienced this massive growth in their members model so they are partly funded by people that just agree to donate to them every month and so they've had I think more than a thousand, it was a thousand in a week. <laughs> uh, recently they've had much more, many more than that sign up to just donate to them and this is really what the media was heading towards, you know, with the Herald's premium model, that kind of thing. They were heading towards more subscription models, more viewer and reader-funded models, but that was still really in its infancy. It wasn't happening everywhere, and they've essentially been caught short by this crisis where they were probably setting up some of these subscription models, but now they're more vital than any than ever before and are immediately vital to their survival, but they don't have them totally set up yet. And finally, Hayden, you would like to talk about Mike Hosking. Yeah, that was my two good things. I, I want to talk about a bad thing. It seems almost like banal to <laughs> criticise Mike Hosking, but I did want to highlight just the bizarre series of um, uh, contortions that he's gone through over the course of the month. So to, to, he's, he's seemingly running an experiment and directly contradicting himself this month without ever acknowledging it. So to, to start the month, Hosking was saying, 
coronavirus is all over overhyped. It's hysteria. We shouldn't react to it. He called on the government to not deliver any unnecessary economic stimulus. Then when it became clear that desperately that economic stimulus was desperately needed on March 16, he criticised the government for not delivering that stimulus fast enough. Then on March 23, he said that the, that the country needs to be shut down and the government's not shutting it down fast enough. When the country was shut down, as we are now in shutdown, today <laughs> he, he's gone back to saying that the virus is overhyped and we're being too hysterical about it and saying that it only... He hosted an interview with the Auckland University epidemiologist Stephen Thornley and, and he said that it's essentially overhyped because the virus mainly kills people who are already elderly and sick anyway. And who were going to die anyway? Something was going to get them. It just happens to be this. That's the quote. So, I mean, ah. <laughs> there's a, I just want to highlight a couple of things. First of all, that, that argument is reasonably distasteful that we shouldn't care about this virus because it kills people who are sick anyway. It, 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 just because they would have died of something else doesn't mean that they need to die of COVID-19 or that that doesn't matter or that we don't need to do something about it. Second is just the... I, I just found it quite shameless going from uh, one position to a directly contradictory position three or four times in a month without ever acknowledging that you might have been wrong before. Uh, it, it, was, it seems almost as if in Hosking's world only the present exists and, and the past is burned burned away new every morning. And well, you know, maybe he's been reading Eckhart Tolle. Maybe he's reading a cartola, the power of now, or something. But I, I think it's, it's it's very weird. It's two years, I think, at least the last couple of years. I I've reached this conclusion, which was, and I don't know if, it, if Jeremy Wells still does it, but if I was just to read a transcript, not actually hear them deliver it, just read a transcript of Mike Hoskins' minute and Jeremy Wells' spoof of Mike Hoskins, like Mike, I would not be able to tell them apart anymore. And I can't tell the satire and the fact from each other anymore. It's like Animal Farm, and the animals look from the humans to the pigs, and back to the, from the pigs back to the humans, but they couldn't tell which was which anymore. And that was he, about two years ago. He's become a bit of a parody of himself in recent times, I think. This, this just struck me as particularly cynical, and, 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 and possibly even... It just seems that his guiding principle through all of this month has been criticising whatever the government is doing rather than trying for consistency or accuracy. or and if, and if he has a different opinion, then that's fine. You can say it, he can say whatever he likes. But in this, it just seems a bit shameless to be flicking between positions just so that you can take an antagonistic position on anything that the government is doing. And so... I just wanted to highlight that the thing, the thing Ooh. with this, and why it's important is partly because in three seconds, Hayden, broadcaster, <laughs> and partly because Michael uh, 